Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is the Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at Western New York with news, features, and special guests. Now, here's your host, Brian Rusk. Welcome to the Rust Report. We're very honored to have one of the smartest political pundits in New York State. Uh, a man who is a deputy Erie County executive with tremendous vision. It's uh, too bad he never became county executive because he had vision. He has vision. He has guts. He has fire in the belly. I'm referring to Carl Calabrese of North Tonawanda. A little background information. He uh, was educated at Kenmore East. High School, Erie Community College, has a bachelor's and a master's from the State University of New York at Buffalo. He was elected to the town of Tonawanda Town Board in 85, re-elected in 89. He was supervisor 93, 95, and 99, and deputy county executive from 2000 to 2005. A man with great vision and intelligence, Carl J. Calabrese. Now let's uh, talk about the $64,000 question. And that's can a socialist slash communist, there's very little difference between a socialist and a communist because they stand for state control and not the individual's control of their lives. It's it's the government running people's lives. And we have India Walton, who won with very small percent of the vote, uh, the primary, and is now uh, the the candidate for mayor. And Byron Brown is uh, putting forth, it seems, a highly spirited uh, write-in campaign. Can a socialist win in the city of Buffalo? Carl Calabrese. Well, sure. Uh, a socialist can win in the city of Buffalo. She's, she's already proven she can do something that no one, no one thought she could do, and that is win a primary against Byron Brown. You know, Brian, I'm, I'm fond of saying that she calls herself a democratic socialist. I've done research on the Democratic Socialists of America. Um, anyone can go on their website and see what they stand for and what their plan is to, to drive their agenda by gaining more and more influence uh, in the Democrat Party through primaries by beating incumbents who maybe have gotten a little soft and uh, been around a little too long. And that's how AOC won her seat, and that's how India Walton did it. But I'm fond of reminding people that the only difference between a Democratic Socialist and a Socialist is with a Democratic Socialist, you get to elect the person who's going to take away your liberties. That's, that's really the only difference. But, yeah, she can win. And so can Byron Brown win uh, in a write-in. This is going to be very interesting to watch. Uh, you know, write-ins, as you know, Brian, have been made much easier in New York State over the years. Um, it used to be with the old voting machines that there was a roll of paper you know, at the highest point of the machine, and you had mm-hmm. to go up there and open it up. and You had to write in the name exactly as it appeared 
uh, on on their election petitions. Every letter had to be correct. Uh, well, those days are gone now. You get your paper ballot that you insert into a machine, and uh, you get your pen, and at the bottom of that ballot, uh, there's a spot for a write-in. And the courts have gotten much more lenient uh, with respect to uh, how you spell names. You, you don't have to spell it correctly anymore. Byron can be spelled with a, an I instead of a Y. Uh, Brown can be spelled with an E at the end of it. And you don't have to put a middle initial in. In fact, the uh, uh, commissioner of the Board of Elections here said that under law, if somebody just wrote in B period Brown, that would count. So uh, he can do it, but so she, so can she. This is, a, as you know, every election is a matter of turnout. Who gets their people out? And uh, if Byron Brown does not take this race seriously, and a lot more seriously than he took the first one, uh, we could we could have a socialist mayor in Buffalo. Unbelievable. I mean, I never thought I'd see this day. My parents uh, fled from Poland at the end of World War II to get away from uh, socialism and communism. And here it's right in my backyard, uh, five miles from where I live. It's it's beyond my uh, comprehension. Now let's uh, talk about Byron Brown's machine. He's got the fire. He's got the police. He's got uh, 3,000 employees. Uh, I would think he has a lot of union support. Is it that difficult for him to turn people out and put a dot on the piece of paper and write Brown? Is it that hard uh, for Byron Brown to win? I don't think it looks like a Herculean effort because he does have a machine. Well, he does, and but he had a machine during the primary, and he, did, he didn't use it. Um, I mean, I've known Byron Brown since 1988. And he's always been considered by, by both sides of the aisle as a real detailed political guy at the grassroots level. He was always very, very cognizant of building an effective political organization and mobilizing it on Election Day. Um, for whatever reason, that didn't happen in the primary. Go say what you win, whether it be overconfidence or whatever, whatever it was, um, it happened. Uh, so he's got to reignite that machine again. And, uh, you know, if he does, you're right. He's got an awful lot of resources. Um, part of his campaign, though, I'm sure, is going to be, and it should be, an education process to educate people who may never have written a name in and only, you know, circled little dots with a felt pen. Um, I believe he's going to have to spend some of his money on just educating people on how you do a write-in. I'm told, I don't know this for fact, but I'm told the campaign is investing in tens of thousands of pre-inked rubber stamps uh, to give to people to take to the voting place and just stamp his name in. I'm told that is legal. Stickers are not legal because they can gum up the, the uh, counting machines, but I'm told that uh, a rubber stamp with the name on it is legal, and uh, as they say, I'm told that uh, secondhand knowledge that the campaign is spending money on that. I think that if, if that's the case, if it is legal and it, if he is doing it, I think it's a pretty good idea. Yeah, it seems to make sense. It's very easy if he has uh, 300,000 of those stamps so to just stamp it right down, and there you go. It sounds easy. Let's talk about styles of, of leadership, and uh, I'm, I'm taking a lot of graduate courses in leadership. I'm going for my second master's degree in leadership and innovation oh, at Damon College because I want to be smart like Carl Calabrese. <laughs> and I'd like to analyze a few different leaders and their styles of leadership and uh, um, in the last century. Uh, the first one I'd like to talk to Carl Calabrese about, because he's a, Carl's a man of deep thought and intellect. Uh, Winston Churchill, 
I mean, there was a gutsy guy who didn't believe in defeat. He didn't trust Joe Stalin. He didn't trust there would be free elections in Eastern Europe, and he, of course, was right, uh, history proved. Uh, but there was an indomitable person. Let's talk about the style of leadership of the former prime minister of uh, Great Britain during World War II, Winston Churchill, Carl Calabrese. Well, I think there's a number of aspects of his leadership that stand out, that stands out. The first is consistency. Um, all during the 1930s, when, when Europe was keeping its head buried in the sand regarding the, the Nazi threat and the threat of Adolf Hitler, um, Winston Churchill was a backbencher who kept talking about the dangers of, of Nazism and, and the likelihood of a coming war. And, uh, in fact, there was a, a book written uh, and a PBS series produced years ago uh, the book was called A Voice in the Wilderness, and it was all about those 10 years between 1930 and 1940 uh, when he was a backbencher and essentially a voice in the wilderness. And, of course, everything he said during those wilderness years came true, uh, and the people of Britain recognized that and, and elevated him to prime minister. Uh, the other thing that, that stands out to, to me with, with Churchill is, uh, besides that, that consistency and fortitude to, to swim upstream, is accountability. Um, when he was the, the vice, uh, uh, vice secretary of the Admiralty in World War I, he, had, he came up with the strategy of the, uh, the Gallipoli campaign in the Dardanelles and with Turkey. And that, of course, was a disaster for Britain. Um, he took responsibility. He resigned, and he volunteered uh, to go on the Western Front in the trenches. And, and that certainly helped form um, his view of the world and, and his position as a leader. So, um, you know, in, in, in addition to that, the man had some great quotes, and he loved cigars, which I happen to as well. So <laughs> what can you say about a guy with fortitude, vision, toughness, um, accountability, and who likes a good cigar? And he also was very funny. Um, <clears throat> I remember hearing the story of a woman who uh, said to Churchill, I believe he was prime minister at the time, she said, Mr. Prime Minister, you're, you're drunk. And he said, <laughs> he said, yes, I am, but you are ugly, but in the morning I will be sober and you will still be ugly. <laughs> I know the story. He had, yeah, he had, he could write a book, uh, which is a uh, funny comment. He was brilliant the best. Man. Absolutely brilliant man. Yeah, we're going to talk a little about two other uh, world leaders. Uh, it's, it's, it's not what you would expect on the Rusk Report on ESPN that we're going to be having a history course with Carl Calabrese, but he has deep <laughs> intellect. We're going to talk a little bit about the leadership styles of Lech Wałęsa, who toppled communism, and St. John Paul II in just a moment. Uh, if you're listening in Cheektowaga, Montreal, or Washington, D.C., as we blanket 17 states and much of Canada, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. This station, with its 50,000 watts of clear channel power, has received letters as far away as Scandinavia and New Zealand. We greet cards and letters from our Canadian and European listeners. I'd like to thank those who've called regarding our recent guest, Don Postles of Channel 4, Mo Nalon with the employer support of the Guard, and Charlie Joyce, National Republican Committeeman from New York State. Next week, we'll have Rob Ort, the Republican leader of the New York State Senate, and after that, we'll have the president of the <coughs> Polish American Congress, James Lewicki. A little bit more information about Carl J. Calabrese in 2005. He founded Massiello, Martucci, and Calabrese and Associates, a lobbying firm specializing in representing West New York business, nonprofits, 
cultural and education institutions for state and local government needs. MMCA went on to become and remains the region's largest lobbying firm. He retired in 2020. Little plug here summer is a time for the three hours rest, relaxation, and reading. Enjoy your summer and get your copy of the Ampol Eagle News. Historic and cultural features from the Polish American perspective can be delivered to your door each week for less than 60 cents. The Ampol Eagle is offering a hot deal for new subscribers just six months for $16. Call 716 835 9454 and mention ESPN AM 1520. This special offer is good through August 31st and is for new subscribers only. Call 716-835-9454 and get ready to read and relax. Now let's get back to leadership style. Uh, In the early 1980s, an unemployed electrician in Poland jumped over a fence and fought for years, risked his life on numerous occasions. We all remember the priest, Father Jerzy Papiuszko, who was murdered and drowned. So there was a definite threat to this man's life. I'm talking about Lech Wałęsa, and then communism failed in all of Eastern Europe and in Russia. So let's talk about uh, the leadership style of Lech Wałęsa. What type of leader do you think he was, Carl Calabrese? I would use a couple of adjectives. First of all, courageous, and the word you used earlier, Brian, a visionary. Um, you know, courageous to take on the Soviet bloc at, at the height of its power uh, in the shipyards of Gdansk and simply say, enough, no more. And if I recall, he spent a few, quite a few years in prison because yep. of, of organizing that union and, and beginning the process of standing up um, to the, the Soviet power. And, uh, I mean, he changed the world, if you think about it. I mean, he that action of jumping over that fence in that shipyard set off a, a, a chain of, of events that eventually led to the, the failure and crumbling of the entire Soviet Union, the, the demolition of the Berlin Wall. It all started with, with that one act. Um, and he paid a price for it, and he is honored in his country for it. And in many ways, he, he could be compared to the, our founder of our country, George Washington. He was... He was a spark that, that lit the, the inferno that eventually claimed an empire that everyone thought was going to be around for, you know, decades and decades into the future. Whoever would have thought that the Soviet Union would have come down so quickly. But it showed how weak it was, that it was, it was a regime built on force and intimidation. And, you know, the old saying about bullies, they, they bully people. They know they can bully and get away with it. And once somebody stands up to the bully, they tend to back down. And that's exactly what happened here. And like Walenza was, uh, was the guy. He was the catalyst. So I think he will forever be remembered in history as, as the father of the modern Poland, the free Poland, that came out from under the thumb of, of Soviet uh, oppressors. Very well said. Now we're going to talk about a religious leader who mm-hmm. always pushed for solidarity. He backed the solidarity movement. He risked his life. He was nearly killed when uh, an assassin uh, came and shot him, and Ann Audrey from Buffalo, New York. And uh, now he has been named a saint. Uh, You can remember the numerous trips where Eddie Rutkowski and others would go to Poland with children who were sick or dying, and uh, St. John Paul II blessed them. Uh, This is a man who had also great vision, courage, 
and intellect. I'm talking about now Saint John Paul II. Let's talk about his style of leadership for the world, Carl Calabrese. Well, yeah, you know, Brian, it's interesting, that period of history, and we certainly talk about about uh, John Paul as an individual. Uh, again, many of the same characteristics as the Lequalenza. Uh, courageous, fortitude, a visionary. Uh, I mean, you know, when he went to Poland, I think shortly after becoming Pope, um, you know, in the face of the opposition of the Polish communist regime, millions of people came out. Again, an, another match to that fuse that uh, Lequalenza uh, lit. And, you know, you, so you've got him standing up with, you know, the old, I think it was Stalin who once said, you know, how many, how many um, regiments, how many divisions does the Pope have? None. I have them all. And, you know, in the, his actions and his words proved that the moral authority can overcome the military authority. And, but you've got to have the gumption and the fortitude to continue speaking for freedom in the face of oppression. And he, and in that period of history, you not only had Lequalenza doing it and Pope John Paul II doing it, but you had two other characters at the same time, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher. Right. When you put those four together, when you put those four together, and they're all, they're all preaching from the same hymnal about the, the dangers and the evils of oppressive communism and the, and the joys and rewards of freedom, and you continually hit the oppressors with that message over and over from different perspectives from an economic perspective, a political perspective, a religious perspective, the walls come tumbling down, literally and figuratively. And when you put those four people together at the same time, um, I don't care how many divisions the Soviets had, the Soviet bloc had, it all crumbled literally overnight. Well, that is so well said. I wish that we would have uh, tens of thousands of young people in high school and college listening to Carl <clears throat> Calabrese. He's, he's, he was basically alluding to the evil of socialism and communism, and when people think about voting for mayor, they have to remember that the one candidate is an avowed socialist. <clears throat> so uh, I think we can reflect on what we've just been talking about with right. these three what, world what, leaders. What, what really concerns me is, you know, I, I do a lot of research on, on, on polling, and when you look at what young people, uh, the so-called I generation, millennials and the I generation, um, believe, what they've been taught for the last, you know, 30, 40 years in, in our high schools and colleges, they are very, very warm to the idea of socialism. In fact, uh, very high minority, but a very high, very high percentage minority, believe that socialism is superior to capitalism. Uh, have no qualms of voting for a socialist. Uh, have uh, they? They don't. They don't necessarily support the First Amendment anymore with free speech. They're they're prepared to shut down speech they consider hate speech. Uh, and it's very very concerning to me that in the next ten or fifteen years, if you take the millennial generation and the I generation, they're going to be larger in size than the baby boomers. And we know what kind of influence the baby boomers had on American politics for you know forty year period. Uh, unless these young people have a change of heart going forward, that is going to be the group, the demographic groups that will be driving our elections. And uh, it's very, very concerning to me. What we've done in this country with our education in the last 40, 50 years is, I, in my opinion, intellectual criminality. I mean, what we have taught, what we haven't taught um, is just terrible. And we always knew we always knew that academia, universities and colleges were run by left-wing uh, socialist, communist people. Um, now we've understood and learned how K-12 through 12 
has been infiltrated with that right. group. And, and we're seeing it in the teachers' unions uh, and what they're proposing with critical race theory. We saw it in the last summer with the number of young teachers arrested uh, taking uh, part in the Black Lives Matter riots. Uh, that's, who our, that's what's teaching our children today. And if you look at what they're teaching them about history, it's, it's terrible. Our, well, I taught at UB. I was an adjunct professor at the University of Buffalo mm-hmm. for 18 years in a course on government. And I used to ask basic history questions to my students. And, you know, anybody who knows anything about the University of Buffalo, in New York, it's kind of the cream of the crop in terms of student quality and right. grade point averages and SAT scores. I would ask basic questions about history, and I would get, you know, 25 sets of eyes staring blankly at me. Had no clue what I was talking about. Good basic American history. Um, it, and so I always said that the two things our students do not learn in high school are history and economics. And that is a serious deficit that we've got to correct, and parents have to correct that. And I think you're beginning to see the the start of an uprising, a grassroots uprising of parents that take back their local school districts and what's taught in those districts, and I think that's a good thing. We're going to talk in just a moment about uh, AOC and her praise of Cuba in just a moment. For those who just tuned in, we're talking to one of the most bright uh, people with a tremendous vision and courage in western New York. I'm talking to Carl about Carl Calabres, our guest, former deputy county executive, former Tonawanda supervisor, a former um, main lobbyist in western New York. Carl Calabres, we're learning a great deal. He has a good understanding of history and education and the needs of our young people. If you're listening in Tonawanda, Toronto, Northern Florida, drop us a note. Please write to Brian Rusk, ESPN Radio, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Buffalo, New York, 14226. A little more information about Carl J. Calabrese. He's been an adjunct professor, State University of New York at Buffalo from 2002 to 2019 in the School of Architecture and Planning, teaching a course to future planners, local government, politics, and policy. Very gifted a man with a lot of vision and guts. Let's talk about AOC, and this is quite amazing to me that she and many of these national uh, progressive so-called leaders are praising how wonderful the health care and education in Cuba is. I've been to Cuba, and eight hours a day, the power is off. They ration power. I look in a refrigerator, there's a half a glass of milk, a bowl of rice, and that's it and they have to wait in line. Plus, Castro probably killed twenty to 30,000 Cubans with firing squads. So how can somebody like AOC proclaim Cuba to be this wonderful way of life when the people live like dogs? Carl Calabrese. Well, they do, don't they? And, uh, you know, they always blame America. It's always something America did that prevents socialism from really blossoming and into this utopian uh, form of government. They always do that, and they're still they're doing it now, though. It's the American embargo that is putting Cuba in such bad shape with food and medicine. The problem is the facts are that our embargo does not include food and medicine. Uh, they, you know, that, that's a whole other issue. Um, well, we don't give them credit. Well, come on. The, the, Cuba was essentially a client state of the old Soviet Union, and they got everything financially they needed from the Soviet Union. Uh, when the Soviet Union crumbled, Venezuela stepped in, uh, and they do business with other countries. This is a failure of a system that has never worked anywhere, no matter where socialism has been tried. Asia, Africa, the Middle East, South America, the Caribbean, it has always failed. 
Um, it's got to be the unluckiest political philosophy in world history because it just never works and it will never work. Uh, but yet they believe in it. They believe in it to the core. They believe America uh, is fundamentally flawed and racist and needs to be transformed. They, they hold that belief as strongly as they hold the belief in the superiority of socialism. Um, and and they, at least they're saying it now, Brian. At least mm. these people are coming out and telling us exactly how they feel. And I think that's a good thing, because, you, you know, you, you need, as Sun Tzu, the ancient Chinese uh, strategist said, know your enemy as you know yourself. So, um, good, let, let them say this. Uh, they're committed to getting more members elected to Congress and at the state legislative level. Uh, and now at the local level, we see in Buffalo. So uh, this is not a fight that's going to end anytime soon. They will continue to support Cuba. Uh, they will ignore all of its shortcomings. You mentioned some of the things with medicine and food. You know, the, uh, a Cuban family is rationed five eggs a month terrible. for a family. That's yeah, terrible. Um, <clears throat> and, and, you know, I, 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 it's too bad that all we're getting out of Biden, uh, President Biden, is, is rhetoric. Um, they've said that if... If you come here from Cuba, you'll be sent back. They, they told Americans, apparently Americans are beginning to uh, with, uh, organize uh, flotillas of American uh, boats to go within, you know, just outside the three-mile limit of Cuban waters to pick up refugees trying to escape and bring them to America. The Biden administration said, if you're an American who does that and we catch you, $250,000 fine and five years in jail. Meanwhile, the southern border is open without any questions asked, without any COVID test given uh, for for illegals to come into this country. It looks like it will be between two and three million this year. We know there'll be at least two million that we can account for that are stopped by border agents. We can't account for the people who sneak in in the middle of the night across rivers and whatnot. But so it's going to be between two and three million people let in illegally Terrible. who aren't who aren't suffering from political oppression like in Cuba, but yet we turn our back on the Cubans. Absolutely terrible. Um, Senator Marco Rubio has said we could, right now, with our technology, reinstate the the Internet in Cuba to allow uh, the dissidents uh, to communicate with each other, which is critical, and we won't do it. Biden will not do it. Terrible. Yeah, uh, just one thing. When I've been to com- I've been to communist countries. I was in Cuba 20 years ago. I was in Poland under communism, and I was in Vietnam under communism. And the people would always tell me, why should I work 10 hours a day? If I work one hour a day, I get paid the same. There's no motivation. There's no purpose. It just doesn't work, as Carl Calabrese has said. Let's just, we got one minute, uh, a minute and a half left on the Rusk Report about the Cuomo race. Will this be an anti Cuomo vote that can put Zeldin in, not necessarily a pro-Zeldin vote, but an anti-Cuomo vote. Carl Calabrese. Yeah, it, it certainly could be. You know, I've often said this, many people say this, that an executive, whether it be a town supervisor, a mayor, a county executive, a governor, tend to have shelf lives. Uh, legislators don't have that because legislators usually don't have to make tough decisions. They can pass bills that sound real good and then turn it over to the executive to administer. And if mistakes are then made and failings occur, it happens at the executive level. And over time, that builds up, and uh, eventually you reach this shelf life. Um, Cuomo may be nearing the shelf life. You're starting to see it with his um, uh, his fundraising or lack thereof. I mean, for the first time in his career, he's being outraised by a challenger. Uh, right. Zeldin outraised him in the first quarter, I think, two to one. Uh, and so there are signs of shelf life starting to occur. Uh, but the problem is, Brian, as you know, 
New York State is such a blue state, uh, right. rivaled only by California, that I'm just concerned that anybody with a D after their name on the ballot is probably going to get elected or reelected. But, I'm sorry we have uh, yeah, to bring the Rusk Report to a close. We've talked to one of the brightest people with vision in politics, Carl Calabrese, a man of great vision and courage. Special thanks to Kevin Carr, director of production for the past 15 years. Thank you for enlightening us once again, Carl J. Calabrese. Have a great week. You've been listening to The Rusk Report, a program that takes an inside look at the Western New York community with news, features, and special guests. If you have any comments or suggestions, please write to Brian Rusk, 500 Corporate Parkway, Suite 200, Amherst, New York, 14226. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.